stick it up. I always wear my mask and wash my hands after going home. It's a good tuna, but I think I paid too much. I am the king of that. Welcome to the Japan What Podcast, episode 125. I am your host, MatthewPMBigelow.com. And MatthewPMBigelow.com is where you can go to find all of your Japan Web podcasting needs. This is, of course, the podcast that focuses on Japanese AI markets, Society 5.0, rising conflict in the Indo-Pacific, odd items, and more. And I'm coming at you from... The beautiful hybrid studios on Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada. Taking a vacation here with the family, here with the kids, but still monitoring the situation as I do vis-a-vis those topics I just mentioned. And we got a few more things to cover today. It's uh, it's heating up over there, not in terms of temperature because it's so wintry. But man, um, the old Canadians. Yeah, overall, good people. It's it's a very different place. I, I remember growing up in a very relaxed, chilled environment, and I don't know, the rising cost of living has kind of made a lot of people here uptight. And I also think, like, uh, Canadians are known for being, like, very generous, open, kind-hearted people. Uh, but, I mean, can you continue to be like that when inflation is just going... Uh, just a couple of notices before we move on to the Japan topics, but something like 500,000 people or more added to the population of Canada in just Q3 2023 alone. Uh, I mean, the population is 40 million, and you had in just one quarter like a pretty hefty sum come in. And it's always reported like, yeah, but a lot of them are visa seekers. They're not. They're not moving here forever. But a lot of them do stay forever, so it's it's a little disingenuous there. That adds to whole like infrastructure issues, you know, especially cost of living and uh, housing and all that. And also, I've noticed that everything, every all, everything here is like a mild guilt trip. Not everything, but a a lot. You're in the in the lineup, the chain of uh, supermarket stores around here. That's probably the most popular. It's called Thrifties, but cheap it ain't. <laughs> Anyways. But like, get this, you're, you're, you're about, you're paying for your stuff and they say, would you like to donate to cause X, Y, or Z? And you're like, ah, okay, maybe and you throw a couple of bucks in, in with your bill at the, uh, register there. And then there's like some people waiting at the end and they're like high schoolers from a sports team. And they're like, you have to give them some money and they'll bag your, your, your stuff if you want. Like, okay, so you say no again. So it's like, okay, actually, I don't want to donate to that thing. And then you, you move three feet or a meter to your right. And there's like some people waiting there, little girls, like, hey, we'll pack your bags, your groceries if you want to donate to our sports team. We have an important thing coming up. Like, no. And then, okay, so you bag your own groceries. You're like, oh, I know how to put milk and bread in a bag. Thanks. And then you're walking past the, um, the entranceway. And there's like a make a donation to a type of charity, a local charity. And you can you can actually, it's pretty clever. Instead of having like a, a big bag of money or a big jar or, or some of the, the big plastic ball hanging from a stand and you put in like a fiver, the old five spot or, or a couple of loonies or toonies. Uh, those are the denominations of currency, like a dollar or two dollar coin. They had like credit card, touchless, you know, near near field sensors and you could just put your credit card up to a five dollar thing and boop you've donated at least it's convenient but then you get out of the store and it's christmas time so there's like the christmas wish foundation people waiting there for you and like there's there's an insane amount of tax like you're paying like 20 25 tax on top of all the prices so you you look at your prices and it's 25 percent higher once the tax is added into it and then just to get out of the store and get to your car, there's like a minefield of beggars, essentially, that just want more and more of your money. I think that's making a lot of people uptight. And then you, you open your milk and you put it down on your coffee table or, or your, your your kitchen t- countertop, and there's like a sign on the side of it that says, did you know that only one out of, that one in three families can't afford their, to send their kids to sports activities? make a donation now so then it's like it's hounding you at home 
So this, there's like this constant just guilt trip, and it just makes you say no over and over and over again. Like, no, 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 no. Then you get home, and the milk is like, donate to us. You're like, no! And you turn the milk around, and you're like, get out of here! Get out! <laughs> so that's the um, situation here in Canada. O- overall, the, the vacation's really pleasant and really nice, and the, the scenery on Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada, is out of this world. I guess I might be able to put up some pictures at MatthewPMBigelow.com, just of some nature screenshots or nature shots and stuff like that, if you are so inclined. All right, let's take a look at popular items in Japan. So instead of uh, reading from a popular uh, news site about some sort of new product or thing like that, I found this website called omgjapan.com, and it's just products. And I'm going to just read what kind of, oh, my God, Japan products are now available, and you can decide if you want them or not. Number one, Super Mario Melon Soda Cola Gummies. All right. Kit Kat Party Box, 18 flavors, 70 pieces. How many flavors of Kit Kat have you tried? Uh, Glico Lovely Halloween Pocky Chocolate. Hmm, maybe that's discounted for a reason. My Neighbor Totoro 2024 Diorama Calendar. Get your Ghibli on through Jesus with Totoro. Um, next one here. Uh, paintable Stamps. <laughs> uh, organizer Pouch. Okay, that's fine. Umeboshi Highlighter Marker. Uh, Starbucks Premium Mixed Latte. Rotating sushi pen, uh, disaster prevention slippers, $50. Pringles cheeky grilled cheese burger flavored. When he, I'll just do three more. Uh, Red Bull Green Winter Edition. Mm, Thanko Stain Remover Ultrasonic Blade. And the last one, which one shall it be? Um, Funodai clear soy sauce with a golden leaf. <laughs> so those are just some wacky ass products available to us in Japan. Uh, you know they're kind of fun. That umeboshi highlighter marker. It looks like it's like a squeezable paste, and you you open up the the cap, and it's not a paste. It's a felt marker. So. I uh, probably will have to do a screenshot of that and post it at MatthewPMBigelow.com. All right, on to more serious topics here in the hybrid studios. Let's just begin a little bit with Japan Society 5.0. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example, all right, I'll just explain this. I've been following Japan Society 5.0 for five, six years now. It's crazy how long it's been. It's been four years since COVID hit everybody, four years. But Japan Society 5.0 is a government of Japan uh, umbrella term for all of the AI or digital technologies, including drone delivery and self-driving cars and medicine and all of that stuff promised to us like we're always promised amazing things and we just end up with more of the same unless you buy a car because cars have pretty interesting technology in them now uh the essentially i i spent five years at a telecommunications company one of the top ones in japan that had invested that had invested a hundred billion dollars into the ai markets most of it kind of evaporated they had some hits but they're still dealing with the repercussions of it even though the investments were well intended in my opinion so, um, but recently what has happened is there's been a lot of government and regulation capture going on with Japan Society 5.0. A little bit weird to say because it is a government initiative. So it shouldn't be surprising that instead of having all of these interesting and cool things delivered to market, 
the government is now just deciding to make it all SDGs and DEI and sort of promoting it, using it as like a promotional tool while most companies lag behind in the technology sector in Japan by a real long shot. They just kind of use this idea of technology Japan to promote, uh, I don't know what, to promote SDGs for some reason. So we're in this weird stage where a lot of this technology from AI and, and uh, wireless networks has kind of reached a plateau but we need, for some reason, all these regulatory in, uh, measures to be put in place for us to enjoy this technology. But instead of making the technology enjoyable, it just kind of breaks the legs uh, of the technology so it can't really jump into the forefront. I think they're trying to control it. They'll nerf it. They'll issue like uh, some sort of creed or discourse with Microsoft to introduce it into all of our offices. So instead of having, I don't, it's just going to be Microsoft 2.0, essentially. It's not going to be Society 5.0. I don't think that's coming at this stage, but they're trying. Um, let's just begin with the uh, main Society 5.0 topic for right now. And it is kind of what I'm saying, but it is maybe it's not. But it's also, these are always like trial runs. Like, ooh, look at this new technology. And there's like three people able to use it. Oh, it's a new driverless bus. The driverless revolution is here. But it's one bus on an 800-meter stretch in a part of town nobody goes to. So all these things. So it's always being lauded as some great leap forward. But in fact, it's it's... Is one hobbled step at a time being yanked by the regulatory chains of the government. Something like that. Um, absent student, this, this comes to us from uh, Asahi Shimbum, uh, Asia and Japan Watch, their Scientech from December 13th, 2023. And we are recording this on December 19th, 2023. 2024 is right around the corner. I hope you're ready for Christmas. Absent students in Kumamoto can now attend school via robot. Now, this sounds really interesting, right? But it's just an iPad on a stand with wheels. <laughs> How long have those things been around? I remember seeing Edward Snowden do an interview via one of those at like a TED Talk about 10 years ago now. Um, Kumamoto, students who struggle with chronic absenteeism can now remotely pilot a robot body that will attend classes in their place, allowing them to stay connected and engaged with school life while staying at home. Teachers at Honjo Elementary School here demonstrated on December 12th how to use a U.S.-made Temi telespace present, telepresence robot. Telepresence, you see. I'm calling it teleabsenteeism, actually. It's probably the name of the podcast today. Teleabsentees. Equipped with a camera, speaker, microphone, and touchscreen, yeah, an iPad, the robot can be controlled by a child from a home through a smartphone app. Ooh. The child's image will appear on the screen atop a one-meter-tall wheeled robot, allowing physically absent uh, children to interact with other students in the classroom. Quote, I hope seeing friends on the screen makes students with attendance issues want to stay engaged, said head teacher Hidenomi Nishikawa. Honjo Elementary School has a special online learning program for students who experience long-term absences. Funded by a government subsidy, that's the Japan Society 5.0 aspect for today, the municipality has deployed two Temi robots, one in Honjo Elementary School and the other in a junior high school for a student who can't fully attend classes due to illness. That's how they always roll it out, too. Hey, this person doesn't have a leg. Don't you think they should be able to walk around the school? You're like, okay, well, let's bring in the robot revolution, then. That person doesn't have a leg. <laughs> but it's hard to say no. But I wonder. I wonder if it's just, like, the first day the people on these telescreen robots, they're going to be wearing suits, and they're going to be talking to everybody. But their, their connection will, like, pop out sometime or... They're absentee students, so they're not exactly motivated to be around people. They might just, like, start appearing less and less presentable over time, and eventually uh, they might just put, a, like, a screen over their bed, and they'll just lie in bed, and there'll be, like, some student who's kind of sleeping in their bed on a screen being wheeled around in some school as they pretend to make sure that this is, like, some technological leap because we all know that... Um, it's so awesome when you talk to all your friends using FaceTime or, or Zoom and all that. It's just flawless technology that works all the time, and we all love using it. It takes a lot of effort to use that, that stuff correctly. 
Uh, in the academic year through March 2023, a record 299,448 uh, elementary and junior high school students in Japan were chronically absent from school, an increase of 22.1% from the previous year. The figure represents children who missed school for reasons including social, psychological, and emotional issues. Chronically ill students were not included. And so that's obviously the 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 constant COVID-19 fears, the you know, everything's going to die. The world is ending because of climate change. But make sure you go to school, kids, to get your A's. Make sure you really, really nail that history report. Because if you don't, uh, well, you know, it doesn't really matter because you're going to kill grandma if you don't wash your hands. And that doesn't matter because climate change is going to blow up the earth in 10 years. But come on to school where we teach you all of these things. Oh, you don't want to come to school? We will make two robots and then we'll issue them to people and they can wheel around the school as we all just pretend it's all a great thing and it could be a great thing but is it a great thing i don't know probably not i expect massive failure and stupidity next this one is i'm not sure how much we're going to do with this i'm putting this in japan society 5.0 because with the sdg inclusions it has a lot to do with um, immigration migration integration diversity equity and inclusion no more hunger and all that so japan society and the head of the kadan ren which is japan's top business lobby massive building downtown tokyo they, he's like posing in front of pictures now that says japan society for sdgs and so that that and we've also seen a massive influx of Vietnamese come into Japan and they get screwed because uh because of COVID-19 they, their jobs disappeared so they some of them turn to crime a lot of them find jobs they're not supposed to be doing then the Japanese yen crashes so all the money that they were sending home is now worth 25-30% less on or you know depending on what the the, the Vietnamese dong is doing um, but this comes to us from Vietnam Plus, and we'll just read a little bit. What this, so what I mean to say is, what if the Japanese government wants to use Japan Society 5.0 initiatives to right the wrongs that were done to the new Vietnamese immigrants to Japan, or to try to like utilize uh, chatbots to train up um, Vietnamese uh, immigrants and. One thing about Japan is that you can live here all your life as an immigrant pretty easily, uh, but one thing you can never really do is vote unless you naturalize and give up your original passport, and then uh, you have to be super fluent and stuff like that. So what if they're also planning to bring in like a subclass of uh, labor workers that can never vote and then use that as leverage to break up uh, longstanding traditional unions or pit the, um, uh, you know, the, the non-Japanese workers versus the Japanese workers in future to, to, um, uh, to union bust or something along those lines. Just an idea, just throwing things out there. Uh, this comes to us, Tokyo, uh, Vietnam's CMC Corporation and the Kyoto Computer Gakuin, Gakuin's like a school or college or training center, uh, exchange an agreement on cooperation and education and training within the framework of the Japan Vietnam-Japan Business Forum in Tokyo on December 16th. The event took place in the presence of Prime Minister Pam Min Chin, uh, I guess that's the Vietnamese dude, and the Vietnamese government's high-ranking delegation who were on a working visit to Japan. Earlier on, earlier in Kyoto, um, the president of KCG's Kyoto College and Graduate Studies of Informatics, uh, Hasegawa Wataru, and CMC Chairman and Executive President Nguyen Trung Chin, not going to say the name correctly. I don't care if I mispronounce it. Nobody ever in Asia says my name correctly. Will they sign an agreement aiming to develop high-quality human resources for the Vietnamese and Japanese markets? Under the document, the two sides agreed to exchange educational models and management experience to help uh, develop uh, education into their education aims into a global education organization in training and developing high quality human resources for both Vietnam and Japan. In addition, they will exchange lecturers and students depending on needs, as well as sharing experience in, here we go, IT application in the digital society according to Japan's Society 5.0 model. 
um, established. It goes on from there. So this is kind of interesting how Japan Society 5.0 is supposed to be technology, drones, um, easy living, informatics, AI, all of this stuff. And yet all we get is like a couple of robots and then a, a bunch of Vietnamese immigrants. It's such a, um, I don't mind the Vietnamese immigrants. I'm an immigrant in Japan. But it would it it is a little bit weird. <laughs> it's a little bit weird to follow this thing. It's like we're using Japan society's 5.0 model to use IT training for Vietnamese people in in Tokyo in Japan. It's like, well, okay, I guess we're just gonna give up on all the other aims and uh, just pretend that it's normal. So again, another interesting thing: you get a couple of robots and a million Vietnamese. Um, chat GPT, other AI to be studied for military risk by new Japan body. I don't know why they're doing that, but they are. So again, but this comes to us from the idea that, uh, chat GPT and all these government agencies wanting to put quote unquote guardrails on AI. So they can essentially capture and centralize a version of AI, but it's software and it's replicatable very easily. And, um, it's going to be decentralized. So the future is centralized versus decentralized. This comes to us from Nikkei Asia, Tokyo. Uh, the Japanese government is considering creating an organization next year to explore AI security issues, including the risk of civilian AI technology being diverted for military purposes, aiming to improve safety without impeding research and development. Okay. The, a formal announcement of the plans is expected as early as this month at an Artificial Intelligence Strategy and Council meeting. The body will include private sector professionals with experience in the field. That usually means World Economic Forum, by the way, private sector professionals. Might not in this case, but we'll see. The, there is the World Economic Forum's fourth industrial revolution center located in Akasaka Mitsuke area. And they're often included in these discussions, and they kind of parrot a lot of the World Economic Forum's talking points and then talk with or discuss those same issues with the Japanese officials, and they kind of transfer over a lot of the vocabulary used on the, the private, so-called private part, into the Japanese part. AI products would be tested before they reach the market. There is also a proposal to require any AI product procured by the government be certified by the body for use. Uh, the organization plans to look at potential national security risks, such as the possibility that information on how to manufacture biological, chemical, or other weapons could be obtained through AI. It will also check for security flaws, including vulnerability to cyber attacks. Uh, the, the risk of AI becoming uncontrollable, as well as issues pertaining to misinformation and bias, will also be investigated. Okay, AI becoming uncontrollable is a very weird idea because uh, can't you just turn it off or can't you just say we're not going to use that anymore? Uh, AI becoming replicatable, it's just such a weird idea to think that like it's like saying, well, this computer is going to start copying and pasting itself. What? What are you talking about? Uh, okay, so this, and then anything else from here? Nope. So it's basically just a lot of the a lot of government regulation, a lot of people who don't know about AI trying to tell the rest of the world how we should be using AI, and then they can get a whole bunch of accolades or they pretend like it's a hall monitor situation where they feel like they're doing a good thing because they have a badge and they get to talk about AI to people, but they've never really understood what ai is or they just receive the ai and then like we need more regulation and that's just kind of what it is at this point a little bit sad a little it's less cool as well i, I want to hopefully 2024 we see a real backlash against this whole regulatory these whole regulatory measures and we see a lot more people just saying you know what pound sand we're tired of uh, of these restraints let's just release a whole bunch of cool looking shit and see what happens let's just like really drive this drive it past the uh, the 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 hangers on the johnny come latelys and you know who cares what google and microsoft say let's just try to really push out and make some cool ass shit with this stuff we'll see if it happens that's my dream of AI for 2024. It used to be really cool. Now every time it's just like, wait a minute, no, no, no. That program you're working on might be used for misinformation, become um, uncontrollable, 
and then uh, start replicating itself. Like, what are you talking about? I've been involved in many important meetings, and that's what we are saying. But you've never used or made any of this stuff. We're working hard here to make cool-ass shit. Well, that might lead to misinformation, and it has to stop before it starts, according to me. That's basically a lot of what's going on right now. But fear not. There are people who hate it. Most people actually hate it. This comes to us from (laughs) restofworld.org. Stability AI's plan to counter AI's Silicon Valley bias. Um, And this is a focus on a uh, Japan AI startup. It's just kind of like an interesting idea of how some people are just not interested in playing these games. Quote, it'd be dystopian if all AI systems had the values of a 35-year-old male in San Francisco, end quote. Now, that's very true. I think a lot of youth, like people who are 35 years old and younger, 15 to 35, they've spent their whole youths with these uh, smartphones, algorithmically driven, and uh, basically parroting a lot of what Silicon Valley values are. And now everybody is saying, hey, wait, our kids aren't dating. They're just tapping on these phones. They hang out with their friends only, and they're 25 years old, and they don't really go out and meet girls anymore. Yeah. Yeah, because they were raised essentially by Silicon Valley nerds. They designed all these systems. Why would you expect it to be anything different than what those people were designing? They've basically all turned into Mark Zuckerberg with no money. Jerry Chi is the head of Japan for Stability AI, one of the companies leading the generative artificial intelligence boom. I don't know if that's true. Since opening the Tokyo office a year ago, Chi's team has released a string of new products, including a language model, an image-to-text generator, a text-to-image generator tailored to Japanese language and culture. That's very interesting because um, once the language models become too wide, they cannot be used very well because you get too much interference from other uh, related or correlated sources. A lot of the times if it's using neural networks and stuff like that, it'll pull too much information. And if you want something very specific, but it's so general, it's hard to make the AI give you a very specific response because it'll just start cop, like it'll lead, it'll, it'll talk, start with an idea, like just say uh, Japan's Kyoto culture. And it will be like, okay, Japan's Kyoto culture, very rich. Duh, duh, duh. And then in uh, this year, George Bush visited there. And after that, George Bush had this war. And then after that, it led to Donald. And it will just, there's so much news and, and sources about Bush in Kyoto at a certain time that if the neural network takes that path, well, now you're trying to fight those two topics of Kyoto culture and George Bush policies of the mid 2000s or something like that. And it, once it gets into that sort of realm, it's, it, it'll just start feeding you way too much garbage. So once these, the, once these language models get too big or too broad, it can be really hard to rein them in. And it's like, then people say, that's misinformation. It never really happened. But it's just garbage. It's just garbage. Like if somebody was telling you a bunch of garbage and you went, oh, you started out on a fine point, but then you went into garbage and now I'm not listening to you anymore. But so let's just take a look here. This interview has been edited for length and clarity. Why do you think it's important for generative AI developers to build tools for specific languages? This is interesting because this guy's obviously um, uh, Chinese descent, ethnically Chinese um, he could be from Taiwan. He could be from Hong Kong. I, 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 oh, yeah, I did look into him. I have it right here. Stability AI. Let's see what he is. Just a moment here. Uh, English. Mm, okay, too much garbage is popping up here. I had it earlier. Don't have it anymore. Oh, well. So... Uh, why do you think it's important for generative AI developers to build tools for specific languages? This is the part of the original version of Stability AI. We set out to democratize AI globally to cater to the needs of various languages, cultures, and countries all over the world. It would actually be dystopian if globally all the AI systems had the values of a 35-year-old male living in San Francisco. That doesn't represent the values of the entire world. Um, in November, you released the text-to-image generator Japanese Stable Diffusion XL, 
What's the difference between a user entering a prompt into the Japanese generator and using a translated prompt with the original tool? Answer. One example is the prompt, quote, a high school boy, end quote. Even if you let the user input translated Japanese into the original stable diffusion or third-party American-built AI, such as DAL-E3, you get a white male schoolboy. Using Japanese Stable Diffusion XL, you get an Asian or Japanese schoolboy. Even for the same word, there are different nuances. Just using simple machine translation doesn't capture the different implications or ways that words are typically used. Um, how do you customize your Japanese models to address AI bias? Every model has a bias, he says. You cannot completely eliminate that bias. You can only try to control what kind of biases it has or which kind. We wanted to give this model more of a Japanese bias so that it generates an image that Japanese people might typically think of when trying to picture a prompt. In the long term, Stability AI wants to have a model for each language and culture and specific to each industry. Now, that's very interesting because when he talks about like the 35-year-old version of the San Francisco Mail, that's uh, basically Google. And one thing that happened a few years ago is that when Google went all diversity, equity, and inclusion and stuff like that, they refused to let users view white families by just saying into the Google image prompt, uh, white family. And it would show you like some white people with black people or an Indian mother and a white dude or a lot of times it's a black dad with a white child and a white mom, which is fine, but it's not white family and and i don't really care about that but when you type in indian family it shows you an indian family from india when you type in asian family it just shows you asian families but the the, the idea is that google said we need to de-bias people from uh from from giving them what they want from their like racist overtones and things like that so google is investing so much money to um not let people uh, get what they want to see. And so that makes Google like, hey, look at us. We're Mr. Diversity, Equity, Inclusion now, and there's nothing you can do about it. But then like a startup like, um, what's this place called? Stability AI just goes, oh, no. Oh, we will make it so that if you write in proper Japanese, um, a Japanese schoolboy or a schoolboy in Tokyo, it's going to show you a Japanese or Asian type schoolboy in Tokyo. Uh, that's just what people want to see. So that's what we're going to give them. And it's like, okay, now that option exists. Is that misinformation? Is this getting out of hand? I wonder. So this is that's kind of my example of the cool shit, you know, just giving people what they want. And then I, I use a Bing, um, Microsoft's Bing uh, image generator for a lot of stuff, but I have to be very careful. It has to be very clean ideas. And it can, you hopefully you look at them at matthewpmbigelow.com or if you go through the past episodes and look at the, the kind of the title image there sometimes it's funny sometimes it's dystopian but it's never edgy actually it might it might have like um and there's like you can't even write like a man pukes on a woman and she calls the police It'll, bing will just be like nope can't have that you just be a bad boy no no for you no so there's these like all these things, and I, my idea is that Microsoft probably wants to use this technology for its office workers. It'll replace all that horrible clip art that's been around for decades. So you can write like "fun office party" logo, and it'll have like some cool balloons with like a, a girl boss who's like, "Yeah, giving a thumbs up." And basically, all of these workers at these corporations will not have to worry that some like um, <laughs> edgy, edgy, edgy realization will appear from the prompts that they're using. Then they get fired for being racist and making inappropriate images at work. That's that's basically what I'm thinking is everything needs to be like sub PG so that everybody doesn't, you know, get their tit in a ringer and uh, freak out about what the AI generated for them as they were at work, you know, all that stuff. So anyways, that's stability AIs. I'll be linking those sources at matthewpmbigelow.com if you're so inclined to go and see them. And you should always be on the lookout for up and coming um, entrepreneurs and people venturing into this space who are going against the grain because those are the real people that are kind of going to maverick their way through the, the, the shitty-ass regulation, regulation, regulatory measures that are going on right now. Anything else for that? I think that's it. That is Japan Society 5.0. 
for today. The industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. All right. Have you ever considered donating to the Japan What Podcast? Podcast. Well, you can now. Go to MatthewPMBigelow.com and check out our donation links. You can also use PayPal at paypal.me forward slash Japan WUT. We're also part of the Podcasting 2.0 infrastructure, which allows podcast listeners to download apps such as Podverse, CurioCaster, and more, and send Bitcoin in the form of Satoshis through the Lightning Network on GetAlby's wallet to the podcaster of your choice. It's a very interesting technology. It's censorship resilient, and it's uh, free to use. And you know, when when big tech comes down with all their misinformation and AI stuff that's going to be you know floating around in our wireless networks, AI regulation around you, you can rely on the podcasting 2.0 infrastructure to keep your information free, and you can donate based on what you got in your GetAlby wallet in the form of Bitcoin. That's MatthewPMBigelow.com. MatthewPMBigelow.com. Just send us some traffic. Check out the links and photos. Thank you. All right. Let's just take a look at some quick Japan headlines here. And uh, I think we can use this one to kind of guide us through. Yeah. Japan. Japan PM Kishida vows to take lead in decarbonization in Asia. (laughs) Yes, because Asia will never decarbonize. It's just... P- PM Kishida is a, a, a stooge of, of the American green elite and the World Economic Forum. Nowhere to go. African refugee applicants uh, camp in Tokyo Park. Yep. Japan Nippon Steel to buy U.S. Steel for $14.1 billion. Firms. It might have gone up or down since then. Uh, some people are angry. Singapore, Japan work on green and digital shipping corridor development. Uh, South Korea's CHE proposes South proposes South Korea Japan economic bloc akin to the EU. Japan to issue 11 billion dollars in climate transition bonds in February. Sources. So as you can see from there, uh, Japan is really the elite is really um, in, into all this green climate stuff, and it's their uh, Japan Society 5.0 for SDGs and all that. And we can count on it going further and further, except for that U.S. steel move. I wonder what that's all about. I wonder if it has anything to do with that cha-ching and cash and yen and massive amounts of opportunity. But we'll see. Typically, though, a lot of Americans might be surprised that Japan would be coming in and buying like U.S. steel. But whenever Japan does buy out a company or opens shop abroad, they rarely do a bad job of it. And they invest a lot into the country where they're operating and really try to keep the, uh, the, the product on an on a improving scale. They might lay off a lot of the, the slack and flack. flack. Now, they might lay off, lay off a lot of the slack, but they will Im- hopefully try to improve the investments in the infrastructure and all that. And that's usually the case. And that is the Japan headlines for today. Next, let's move on to war. Die for the war, everybody moves. Die for the good, for the good. Die for the war, die for the war. South Korea and U.S., Japan start operating missile info sharing system. In fact, they just uh, started using it earlier today. South Korea launched another missile, and apparently the uh, this this operating system went into place. I think that um, this is actually for use against China and Russia, and they just use North Korea as an excuse because, whoa, North Korea is a crazy place. We have to monitor them. But if Korea, North, South Korea, um, Japan, and the United States say, well, we're going to form this block to specifically monitor um, 
uh, military activity by the Chinese and Russians in the area. It, it's rather aggressive. <laughs> so n North Korea is kind of like this punching dog you can use into, as an excuse for anything. Hey, why should we do this? Because of North Korea. Well, all right then, let's go. Um, I wonder if there's anything valuable in this link. It's always tempting to skip it over. Mainichi, Japan's national daily since 1922. South Korea, the United States, and Japan started operating a system to share real-time information on North Korean ballistic missiles on Tuesday. The move came as the country's... When was this recorded? Or made December 19th? And we're recording this on December 19th. The move came as the country's strengthened trilateral cooperation amid repeated missile test firings by Pyongyang. The system is expected to enable the three nations to detect and track projectiles fired by North Korea more swiftly and accurately. The ministries added that the system's capabilities were successfully verified through recently held pretests and that is operating normally. The start of operations came just a day after North Korea launched what it said was a Hwangsong-18 intercontinental ballistic missile. The last time North Korea fired an ICBM was on July 12th. The ministry also said that the three countries established multi-year plans for trilateral military drills. They will be implanted for, implemented from next year to better respond to rising missile and nuclear threats from North Korea. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's China and Russia basically um, trying to contain China. Yeah, and Russia. There we go. Not, you know, whatever. That's what it is. U.S. clears um, AMRAM and AIM-9X Sidewinder missile sales to Japan. So that's just Japan getting on on the military-industrial complex there. Territorial disputes with Japan over Russia's top diplomat says. So after World War II, when Japan was surrendering, um, Russia came in and, and claimed a whole bunch of islands for about uh, off the Kirils, which is north of Hokkaido there. And there's like an argument, um, depending where you look at it, that those, those island chains belong to Russia or some of those islands belong to Japan, depending on how you define where the Kuril Islands begin and end. And, there, you know, these, some of these treaties are from so long ago, it's not like everybody knew exactly the, the tectonic plates, if you believe in those, and, and, and all of that stuff. So it, there's like a dispute there. This comes to us from Japan Times, and I wonder where they got it from. Uh, maybe themselves. Let's go. <clears throat> Russia Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has declared that all territorial disputes between Moscow and other countries, including Japan, as over. Lavrov made the remarks which could suggest Moscow will never discuss with Tokyo the issue of sovereignty over Russian-held islands off Hokkaido during an interview Monday. Um, the former Soviet Union seized four islands after Japan's surrender in World War II. Quote, we don't have any territorial row rows with the NATO side, Lavrov said, referring to a recent mark by Vladimir Putin that Russia recognizes no territorial issues with any NATO member. He continued, generally speaking, we don't have dis territorial disputes with any countries, including Japan. It's over Japan. The Russian foreign ministry released the video of the interview on its website. In March 2022, Russia said it would suspend negotiations with Japan over matters relating to realizing a peace treaty, peace treaty including the issue of um, Kunashiri, Etorofu, and Shikotan Islands, as well as the Habomai group of islets, after Tokyo imposed sanctions against Moscow in response to its invasion of Ukraine. So there we go. Russia is not going to be um, engaging on any diplomatic measures with Japan over these things. Basically, Russia's made the decision to just move on away from the G7, uh, try its luck elsewhere. I don't think that they'll be going back to any kind of EU or G7 or America-led things for the next hundred years. They're going to try their luck with the Chinese and Iran and through BRICS and all that. I think that's just where they see the money. In addition, like all those sanctions that were put on um, all those oligarchs um, prevented the oligarchs in Russia from spending a lot of their money abroad. So they apparently just started reinvesting vast sums of money back into Russia because that's where they can make their money now. And so Russia inadvertently is really coming out ahead in all this um and uh i wonder if they have like that much guilt tripping at their grocery stores and supermarkets you can just say neat 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 no ruble for you poor man i am poor too i am drunk in russia um shoppers shippers oh this comes to us right now japan has a lot of shipping industry um 
what have you. They make ships. They're involved in the ships. They love their shipping industry. They're very good at it. Uh, but recently in the Red Sea by the Suez Canal, a lot of the Houthis, which are apparently Iran-backed, have been launching missile strikes. And about a month ago, they, they apparently the ship as well, the Galaxy Leader, is still impounded by, impounded or captured by Houthi rebels off Yemen there. And the Houthi, Houthi rebels have been staging a lot of attacks and missile launches against uh, ships. And my idea behind all this, by the way, is part of war. It's a, it's a wider framework. The Chinese uh, call it unrestricted warfare. I'm not going to quote Sun Tzu and all that because it's a little bit old. And every, every Western person is like, you know, Sun Tzu, you know, maybe the Chinese have moved beyond Sun Tzu and they have their own doctrines now. One of them is called unrestricted warfare. China wants to basically own the international shipping lines so that it can implement its um, wireless technology on top of it and have citizens in China order things on their uh, Chinese smartphone apps from African farmers and then through the Chinese supply system have the trains owned by China, have the ships owned by China, and uh, have it all be directed from the goods from Africa to Chinese consumers probably using in future the Chinese um, yuan because I don't think Africa is a, in, a, in, a, in a spot to develop such things. And then Western countries always want Africa to like be like, you got to be SDGs if you want to do business with us. And then China's like, how about a train line and a bunch of free telecommunications equipment? And they go, oh, it's a tough choice here. So by destabilizing Western or G7-backed um, or zone we can call it like zone if we're in a multipolar world now um it destabilizes g7 style uh shipping routes and stabilizes china russia uh, iran style shipping routes with bricks as well that includes brazil including increasingly venezuela and as well um as well saudi arabia so you have these blocks that are trading with each other in their own currencies de-dollarizing and then destabilizing international routes uh, to, to, to kind of encourage more, more shippers and traders to go with the Chinese side. That's kind of my overall opinion as warfare. I think we've been in supply chain warfare ever since COVID broke out. COVID broke out of Wuhan, and Wuhan was a major production factory for the world for semiconductors, telecommunications equipment, cybersecurity, cars, all of this stuff. And the government... China just walked in and said, nope, not anymore. And it pinched a crucial point of the supply chain network for the world. And ever since then, China has been kind of, I think, scrambling to uh, may, uh, garner more and more control over the supply chain network with the ideas of in, in, introducing its AI-based technologies for um, consumers and also just dominance of the seas, uh, take it away from America and so on. And if you're in Canada, like I am right now, or in Japan, which is where I usually live, uh, like almost all the time, uh, this is going to affect you because it's it's going to eat into your pockets and you're going to ask to be paying for more stuff while uh, hounded by the, the, by the beggars at the supermarket to donate to them as well. Um, so right now, apparently... The U.S. Navy is en route to the some sort of area of Houthi rebels, and they're probably going to engage in something. I'm not going to get too much into it because that's on the breaking news side, and I don't know how to predict war because you can't predict war. But things are really heating up. And then also, just as an aside, with the other canal, the Panama Canal, it's at historic lows in water there. So a lot of people, so basically we're having like these giant supply chain networks having to go around Africa and go around South America if they want to, you know, have their ships moving and delivering goods instead of just waiting and waiting and waiting to go through these canals. Kind of an interesting happenstance in, uh, in, in addition to warfare. But this is just from interesting. So a lot of the times it's hard to get um, uh, information that goes beyond like uh, the U.S. will do this and Russia might do that. And we really don't know. So I'm getting this from a shipping news website called um, Hellenic, I believe it's called, or Hellenic, uh, HellenicShippingNews.com. And I think it's from Reuters, but depending on how you keyword in, it's just hard to get it. But this comes to us more from the ship supply chain line of uh, news. And it has a Japanese reference, like I said, the Galaxy Leader. And so we're just going to dive into it because, we, you know, 
The last thing we need is more supply chain disruption, but if that's where the war is taking place, expect more of it. Let's begin. Shippers mask positions, weigh options amid Red Sea attacks. A number of container ships are anchored in the Red Sea, and others have turned off their tracking systems as traders adjust routes and prices in response to maritime attacks by Yemeni-Iran-aligned Houthis on the world's uh, main uh, east-west trade route. Attacks in recent days on ships in the major Red Sea shipping route have raised the specter of another bout of disruption to international commerce following the upheaval of the COVID pandemic and prompted a U.S.-led international force to patrol waters near Yemen. The Red Sea is linked to the Mediterranean by the Suez Canal, which creates the shortest shipping route between Europe and Asia. About 12% of the world's shipping transit, uh, shipping traffic transits the canal. Oh, excuse me, my voice is rough. Major shippers, including Hapak Lloyd, MCS, or MS, MSC, Maersk, Oil Major BP, and Oil Tanker Group Frontline, have said they will be avoiding the Red Sea route and rerouting via Southern Africa's Cape of Good Hope. Uh, but many ships are still plying the waterway. Several ships underway have armed guards on board, and at least 11 container ships which have passed through the Suez and were approaching Yemen carrying consumer goods and grains bound for countries including Singapore, Malaysia, and the United Arab Emirates are now anchored in the Red Sea between Sudan and Saudi Arabia. Uh, four MSC container ships in the Red Sea have had their transponders turned off since December 17th, and three liquefied natural gas vessels have also adjusted their routes to avoid passing by Yemen. Some vessels are attempting to mask their positions by pinging on other locations as a safety precaution when entering the Yemen coastline, said Ionis Papadimitriou, senior freight analyst at Vortexa. This shipping industry is awesome. They have the best names. Denmark's Maersk on Friday paused all container shipments through the Red Sea following a near-miss incident. And on Tuesday, it said vessels previously paused and due, uh, and due to sail through the southern Red Sea and Gulf of Aden would be rerouted around Africa. Uh, it kind of goes on from there. Um, I'll just try to find uh, where is the uh, Japan quote here. Let me just find it. Japan. Oh, maybe this has been updated. It doesn't include Japan anymore. Well, there you go. Uh, some oil tanker owners are inserting a new clause to include a Cape of Good Hope option into their shipping contracts as a precautionary measure, ship brokers said. Hmm. An Asia buyer of Naphtha, a petrochemical feedstock imported from Europe, said their vessels were still using the Red Sea route as it would take another 7 to 14 days to reroute via Cape of Good Hope. And it goes on from there. This is going to affect oil prices. It's going to affect, um, uh, you know, speculative prices. And, <clears throat> and again, this is a type of warfare. And it might be exi existing on some, you know, distant coastline halfway around the world. But it does affect you, especially if you're an island nation like Japan that relies heavily on timed imports and exports, re relying on a lot of uh, set prices in advance. And as the yen goes down, 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 and these costs of importing go up, up, up because of tensions in the areas, uh, and as well as like Japan aligning itself just 100% with the Americans, it puts Japan as kind of like uh, on a list of like maybe not favorite actors now. So they, they want to like Japan, but during the current situation... We can't like Japan, so we're going to have to put Japan on, like, the list of maybe not the best things to be, like, concerned about. And if you're, if you're like, part of the, if you're a Japanese ship that has a, an American alliance with some Israeli businessman, we just might blow up your ship in the future if you come near us. Okay. That's the, that's the, that's a weird way to wage war. <laughs> that's for sure. But given the fact that we've all, or not we've all, but so many uh, consumers around the world are just now used to pushing a button on an app and having some Amazon robot deliver it to your door almost, except for the you know last mile of delivery, um, or get it out of the factory and it just arrives the next day. Is really put a major um, uh, shift in the global trade in, into relying on just on-time delivery systems backed by um, supply chain networks that are supposedly running efficiently but are increasingly not. And we'll see if in the next coming months how 
these Chinese uh, side of the international supply routes are faring? Are they going to escape this unscathed? And if so, that might kind of um, sh- like show us that that China is using the supply chains as a war mechanism. And if China can disrupt G7 allies at this point while doing so, while you know uh, claiming more of the market share for themselves, I think they definitely would. And that's just one aspect of warfare using the Chinese term unrestricted warfare, a term coined by two colonels in the early 90s or early 2000s. Look into it. Stop talking about Sun Tzu. Talk about unrestricted warfare. Die for the war. Everybody moves. Die for the good, for the good. Die for the war. Die for the war. All right, we're about to wrap up for today. I'm not sure how long I've been recording, but uh, uh, close to an hour now. It's hard not to do just one hour. Um, just a couple of news items from uh, China. Let's do this one for China. China. China poised to eclipse Japan as the largest auto exporter in 2023. We'll see how that goes. Is it just the fact that they're dumping so many EVs onto the markets all over the world? Uh, It's hard to beat Toyota, though, to be honest. China starts up world's first fourth-generation nuclear reactor. Uh, That's one of those modular ones. And last one, this, oh, I'll read a little bit from this one because it kind of goes back into the supply chain networks idea. I wonder how many people just hate that topic. I can't like it. I can't like it enough. Ever since I realized how important it all was, I'm like, man, that's a weakness in our global strategy. Is that on purpose? Hmm. China to conduct sea trials for its first ultra deep water drilling ship from Beijing. This comes to us, Thomson Reuters, via japantoday.com. China will on Friday conduct sea trials for its first ocean research drilling vessel, capable of drilling at depths of more than 10,000 meters, a key step towards beefing up the country's deep-sea oil and gas exploration capabilities. It is China's first vessel capable of ultra-deep-water research and drilling, Chinese state media reported on Monday. It can travel 15,000 nautical miles, or 27,780 kilometers, and operate for 100 120 consecutive days without returning to port. It can also drill as deep as 11,000 meters below sea level. How does that happen? I thought it was 10,000 meters. Oh, depths of more than 10,000 meters originally. The vessel um, Mangjiang, which means dream in Chinese, can navigate in any sea in any part of the world, according to Chinese state media. No details were given on the location of the sea trials. The Mangshang's uh, trials came as tensions rose in resorts-rich South China Sea and after Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. Macros, Marcos Jr. said over the weekend that his country could start new energy exploration projects in the disputed waterway. China and the Philippines have traded accusations over repeated ship encounters in the South China... Well, that's a way to say it. Basically, China is bombarding Filipino ships and like the if you if you're not aware of geography it's like oh yeah china and philippines kind of close to each other it's like well not really the philippines are like 800 900 kilometers south east of china's most southern point of uh, the island of hainan and uh, for some reason china believes that everything in the south china sea is china's now because of some maps and if the philippines are trying to restock some things on a shoal the Chinese vessels will just start bombarding them with water cannons. And the Chinese have these weird fishing flotillas, which operate as like a militia type thing on the high seas or, or wherever they want them to be. They're, they're supposed to be fishing ships, but they're like wolves in sheep's clothing, essentially. Or what are they? They're like sharks in fish scales. Uh, China claims that almost the entire uh, China Sea and in March, China and the Philippines resumed discussions about jointly exploring oil and gas resources. Anyways, blah, blah, blah. So we can see that although we don't know, know much about China, actually, uh, it's hard to know anything about China. 
uh, except for like, you know, oh, it's uh, Beijing is a rich history or, oh, the Great Leap Forward. But I mean, China's basically developing a moon base right now, to my understanding, on the far side of the moon. They have some of the most advanced um, uh, space exploration capabilities among developed nations in the world. And they're doing very well with their on their technology fronts, as, as we all know. So it's interesting that uh, they are now at this stage where they're, they're doing these massive projects, including building ships that can drill so far down into the sea to maybe, again, establish their own supply chain networks for dominance in the world, trading it with their digital yuan to whoever wants to buy it and refine it. Maybe they'll make deals with India and Saudi Arabia and all that. Maybe Russia, too. I don't know. But there you go. So that's the idea here is that um, it's all fitting together in one way or another. But we can see that like all of this idea of maybe more of these Ukraine uh, style wars or Gaza style wars are those fringe topics. But really, the main thing is the war of the supply chain networks and these fringe topics might be occurring to kind of uh, cause disruptions to these supply chain global domination plans? I'm not really sure, uh, but it's one of the ideas that I'm sticking with for the time being, and uh, that's going to be the focus for today's episode of the Japan What Podcast. So thank you very much, everybody, for listening to the Japan What Podcast, coming at you from the hybrid studios on beautiful Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada. The... Oasis, Oasis of Canada. Of Canada. I bid thee to go to MatthewPMBigelow.com. Until next time, everybody. Ja mata ne. You yeah.